So uh, my name is Dustin Holloway. I'm part of the Genesis Gospel Community Group, and I will be reading scripture today. So if we could all please stand in the reverence of reading of God's Word. We are in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 7, and we'll move through verse 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. God be praised. Amen. Amen. Man, isn't that good music? Uh, hey, I, uh, I'm really glad that we get to sing and declare truths like that. Uh, I tell people all the time that most people will remember a lot more about what you sing than what necessarily gets preached from the pulpit because songs just get in our soul and they get within us and we, we sing them all through the week. And so you're going to remember a lot of what you sing lots of times, and which is, which is so important for us. It's why we sing uh, gospel-rich songs that point us to Jesus. I know there's a lot of songs that we choose not to sing. Uh, but the songs we choose to sing are really important for us and important for you to know and to just kind of get into your soul. And so I hope that you uh, enjoy that and I hope that you worship Jesus uh, in the middle of that. Uh, uh, so, hey, um, last week we did some ministry highlights. Uh, which are uh, which is really cool. So I hope that you got a chance to uh, either be here to hear that or if you'll go back and watch that from time to time if you get a chance because you'll hear all the good things or many of the good things uh, that God is doing in our church uh, to minister to people around us, to point people to Jesus. So I'm thankful for all of you who serve in ministries throughout our church family. And for if you're new here and you're like, man, I haven't plugged in somewhere, let us know. <clears throat> We'd love to plug you into a ministry somewhere that you can uh, lead and serve and appoint others to Jesus, no matter what it is. It doesn't just happen here at the pulpit. It happens in literally everything that we do. And so if you want to serve somewhere, by all means, we will for sure find a place for you. Uh, so yeah, Ephesians chapter one, that's where we're going to pick up today. I'm going to read that text again. Uh, we'll first start in verse seven, and I just want to talk a little bit about it. Verse seven says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Uh, so again, if you know anything about refuge, you know, we like to preach verse by verse through the text. Uh, we just finished preaching through Genesis. <clears throat> we spent a lot of weeks in Genesis. And it's a little bit different preaching through Genesis or really Old Testament text because you get big chunks of text, big stories that you preach through. A New Testament preaching is a little bit different because Paul wrote a lot of letters. He wrote specifically things to churches for specific things he wanted to address in churches then and even now for us today. And so a little bit different as we preach through the New Testament, much a lot fewer verses as we get through. And so we preached through this uh, verse two weeks ago, and it says, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood. That means we have salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, the text tells us, through his blood uh, for our, our sins that, have, uh, that we've committed against God, a holy God, have been forgiven in Jesus. And it says that according to the riches of his grace. And so by grace he has saved us through faith. If you're a Christian, you are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus. Amen? You don't do this on your own. Paul talks about that in other places in the New Testament. <clears throat> that you don't do that on your own. It's not about the works that you do 
do. You're not saved by works, so none of us can boast about that. We're not boasting in what we do to get to Jesus or to get to God or, or earn our own righteousness. That comes through the righteousness of Christ imputed to us when we repent of our sins, which means we turn away from our sins and put our faith in the finished work of Jesus. And that's what he's talking about in verse 7, that in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sin, of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And so if you're an underliner in your Bible or a circler or a highlighter, whatever you do, I would encourage you to underline or highlight or circle the word grace there in verse 7. Then we pick up into today's text, three verses that we'll preach through. Verse 8, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So again, verses 8 through 10 are a continuation uh, of what uh, grace actually is. And this thing is like going haywire on me up here. So sorry, guys, that I'm all over the place. Verse 8, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. So the question becomes, what does lavish mean? Do you use that word often? When's the last time you used the word lavish? It's probably been a minute, right? So what does lavish actually mean? Well, what that means is, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about it. It means to make a bound towards us or to expend something towards us or to uh, heap on us, to pour it all out onto us. That's kind of the thoughts around this, to shower us or deluge us with grace. That's what this kind of is inferring to. He lavished it on us. So think about uh, <clears throat> maybe like, uh, uh, pouring chocolate on top of ice cream. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Come on now. Where, where are my inner fat people? Where y'all at? Come on, come with me. Come with me now. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, so so we, we pour a lot of chocolate on it. We're lavishing uh, chocolate over some ice cream. Maybe it's caramel or strawberries or whatever it is. Or, or maybe if you make a barbecue sandwich and you go to like, where's your favorite barbecue place to get a pulled pork sandwich in Memphis? If you don't say the barbecue shop, then you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, uh, that's the best pulled pork barbecue sandwich in Memphis. And so when you go there, you probably, if you're normal, put some barbecue sauce on your pork sandwich, right? Some of you put a little bit of pork uh, uh, barbecue sauce in your sandwich, and some of you lavish your barbecue sauce on top of your sandwich, right? It's where it's just kind of running out, running down your hands, running down your face whenever you eat it. That's lavishing on um, what it is. Or if you think about the Geico commercial, you know, the uh, chocolate peanut butter cookie dough, you know that one? <laughs> You know, everybody knows that because it's on like TV all the time. And you know how they're putting on the, the uh, chocolate on the ice cream? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they're lavishing that chocolate on the ice cream. So think about that when you think about lavishing grace on us, okay? So that's what I want you to think about when you think of lavishing. So it, it really harkens back to one of our verses from uh, Romans chapter 5 when we preached through Romans uh, a few years back. Romans chapter 5, 20 is one of our favorites here. Refuge, what does it say? For sin abounds, What? Grace much more abounds, okay? And y'all didn't do it, and I'm not happy about that. Where sin abounds, what? Grace much more abounds. So if you're new here at Refuge, just use your, stick your left arm out like this. Well, that's where your sin is. Or actually, some of y'all lift your arm up. Lift, come on, some of you lift your arm up higher. Where your sin abounds, what? Grace much more abounds. Yeah, so that's the beauty of the gospel and the scandalous nature of the gospel is that no matter how deep your, how big your sin is, grace is even bigger than that. But to think about it in a different direction, uh, Corey Ten Boom says this. 
There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. So, yes, it's this big. But no matter if you are in some deep or dark or desperate place in your life like some of you might have walked in today living in, no matter how deep that pit may feel to you, God's love is deeper still. That's grace. That's lavish grace that no matter how deep, no matter how dark you may find yourself, in whatever place you may find yourself, God is even a little bit further than you. That's beautiful. There's multiple stories about um, Jesus when he demonstrates this kind of abundance. Where there's even more than you can imagine. That's what we think about when we lavish grace. More than we can even imagine. More than we think we deserve, you know. That, that, that's how we live. And, and we don't really live like that because we really don't think we deserve any of this. The truth is we don't. That's why it's grace, Right? Right? And so he continues to lavish it on us. But there's lots, of, there's lots of stories in the scriptures that point us in that direction. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus was teaching, and in the New Testament, he was teaching, and a multitude of people came to hear him, and he, and he told his disciples, these people are probably hungry. Like, you know what it is when you're here and you're listening to somebody preach, and you're hungry? Like you skipped breakfast because you're like, we, uh, we didn't even get up time to have a cup of coffee. I'm, not, I'm hungry. I didn't get anything to eat this morning. And now I'm mad. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all are even here just right now. I know my kids are probably that way. I know they didn't eat this morning. So I know they just like, when are we going to eat for lunch, Dad? You know, so they're thinking about something else rather than thinking about what we're talking about today. And so Jesus was like, we need to feed these people before I'm going to tell them something because they ain't going to be listening to what I'm saying. And so he said, let's feed them. And what they come up with? Remember what they came up with? Come on. How many loaves of bread? How many fingers you got on your hand? How many? There you go. Yeah, five loaves of bread. And how many fishes did they come up with? Yeah, two fish. So they came up with five loaves of bread and two fish to feed what the scripture tells us is like 5,000 men. So they probably got a wife with them and probably two and a half kids is, you know, at least that. Uh, so we're thinking possibly 20,000 people. They're like, uh, I got five loaves of bread and two fish. What are you going to do with that? And we know what happens, right? Because we've, we've read the text before. If you haven't, I'll tell you what happens. Jesus, he took it and he said, bring it to me. And he blessed it. And they started to hand it out to people, and there was more, and there was more, and there was more. And where their need was, the grace abounded even more. It was grace. It was just pouring out on top of them. And they fed all those people. We'll assume 20,000, or if you want to do, you know, let's just say 15,000, okay? Whatever it is. Whatever number you want to come up with, it was a bunch of people. He fed them all. And then on top of that, there was 12 baskets of food left over. I think it was for the disciples. That's just my own thing. We don't tell us why it was that way. But I think it was for the disciples. Twelve baskets of, of food and bread, fish and bread left over. That's lavish grace. The scripture says another time that it happened again where he fed 4,000 people and had food left over. That's lavish grace. Remember whenever the disciples were fishing and uh, they'd been fishing all day. If you're a, uh, if you've been ever, anybody been deep sea, deep sea fishing? You know how exhausting that is, you know, if you're like, you're reeling and you're reeling and you're reeling and all that kind of stuff, and, and you're just tired by the end of the day. Well, these, these disciples, a lot of them were fishermen. And so the scripture tells us a story whenever the, the disciples had been out fishing all day and they caught nothing. 
And so Jesus comes strolling up after a day in ministry because we don't do much. Uh, I'm just kidding. Kidding. These are jokes. Uh, uh, Jesus comes strolling up and he's like, what you boys caught? And they're like, we got nothing, Jesus. And we're ready to go to the house. And he's like, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they're like, you know, we're tired. I don't want to do this. I don't have to do this. I would, we've been fishing all day. We know what we're doing. We caught nothing. It's not the day, Jesus. And so what do they do? They kind of push their boat back out a little bit and throw their nets on the other side. And what happens? You remember? Like there's so much fish that they catch in their nets. It's like about to sink their ship. It's like they're about to sink their boat. And then I have to call other ones over like, hey, come and help us get all this fish. We've got so much. That's lavish grace. You see, see the picture here? So in those stories, those are pictures of the lavish grace of Jesus that he extends to us even we're not expecting it, right? That's not teaching some type of prosperity gospel that Jesus is your ticket to financial gain. But what it points us to is what Paul wrote about in Romans, that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. I want everybody to do that because all y'all are not doing that with me. So where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Yeah, there we go. Now I feel comfortable. Uh, in, in, in the CEV, it says this, where sin was powerful, God's grace was even more powerful. Pictures of lavish grace. So, so back to the text. It tells us in verse 7, we have redemption and forgiveness by the riches of his grace. And in verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So Jesus lavishes, say lavishes, lavishes uh, his grace upon his people. And how does he do that? It tells us here in the text. It says, in all wisdom and insight. He did it in all the wisdom of God and with all the insight of God. You might say, well, what does that actually mean, preacher? Whenever you say words like that, sounds like some churchy talk that you're talking. Well, it is a little bit, but wisdom is devising the plan of redeeming mankind from our sin against him. So, right, he was wise in, in devising the plan. This is how it's going to be, and this is how I'm going to redeem mankind from his sin and making all the necessary plans to accomplish that purpose. That's the wisdom of God, to know this is how wisdom and redemption is actually going to happen. See, remember back to Genesis 3? Uh, when we preach through that, it's the first book of the Bible in Genesis, we preach through uh, this. And early on in Genesis 3, uh, the serpent gets introduced, right? Remember that's part of Genesis 3? That's the first time you hear anything about the serpent. And, and you hear about the, tr- the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and God gave all things except for that tree. And he says, if you eat from this tree, you'll surely die. And, and so then the serpent gets introduced. And he's like out there. And Eve says, you know, he t- starts talking to Eve, which is a little bit weird, but whatever. Uh, 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 the, the serpent says, hey, did God actually say that? I, I mean, is that what he said? That if you eat from this tree, you'll surely die? And so he starts to twist God's words. That, that's where this begins. He starts to twist what the truth is. It happens. It happened in Genesis 3. It still happens today. That God's words get twisted. We, we even do it ourselves, right? We twist God's word sometimes just to make it feel good for ourselves. We we don't need a whole lot of help in that. But that's Satan's ploy is to twist the truth so it sounds close to the truth, but it's not actually the truth. 
And scripture says that Eve saw, like she was listening to what Satan was saying. She was like, well, you know, I mean, it, it looks good and, and it looks like you should eat it. And I mean, it looks good in my eyes and, and, and it seems like it would be good to eat. And so she ate some. She gave some to Adam who was standing there beside her, uh, not paying attention, it seems like to me. Um, and the scripture says that their eyes were open and they figured out they were both naked. God came to look for them and they figured out, well, we naked, so we better hide. And so they go hide themselves somewhere. And he was like, hey, hey, where are you guys? You know, this is our normal meeting time. Where are you? And they're like, uh, we're over here naked in the bushes. Uh, <laughs> And God's like, how do you know you're naked, you know? And, and they're like, well, and they start, you know, fumbling around for the words. The bottom line was that, that God asked Adam what happened, and God points, and Adam points the finger at Eve, and Eve points the finger at Satan, and that's where it all kind of goes off the rails. And God addressed them all at that point. You know, he, he talked to them about what was going to happen to them. He addressed uh, uh, Satan. He said this. He said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your, he- uh, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And you may be like, well, you know, it doesn't sound smart to me by putting a tree out in the middle uh, of, there, of there where, you know, that, that's the... the it seems very tempting to me, and that would be the thing that would draw the world into sin. And why would God do something like that? I mean, why would God put that tree there? If we knew that it looked good to eat and it was there, why would he do that? You know, Revelation thirteen eight tells us that Jesus was slain when? I'll answer that for you. Uh, 13.8 says, Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. Okay? Let's, let's think through that for just a second. So Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. So what does that mean, preacher? I mean the redemption of mankind through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was in place before, say before, before the world was ever even made. Okay? Tracking with me there? The, 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 the redemption of man that 13.8 tells us that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. All that was planned before the found, or anything was ever spoke before Genesis 1-2 ever gets here. Okay? And so what that means is, is that God knew we would need a redeemer. Wisdom and insight. That's what we're talking about. Wisdom and insight of God. And so before there was ever a problem, God had the solution. Before there was ever a problem that we were aware of, God gave a solution. So back to our text. So he lavished this on us in all wisdom and insight. So wisdom is devising a plan of redeeming mankind from our sin against him and making all the necessary plans to accomplish that purpose. Okay? This is good theology, people. Making all the necessary plans to accomplish that purpose. All this was in God's plan before the Trinitarian God ever made the world. So, let's go back to our text. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. 
So God's wisdom is kind of in opposition to the boasts and wisdom of like the unbelieving Jews of his time and the heathen philosophers of Jesus' time and the false apostles that popped up uh, during that time uh, for their teachings. So both then and today is how that works. Jesus' teachings stand in opposition to people who are false teachers, okay? Christ crucified though thought of as foolishness by the world, is the wisdom of God. That is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this to the church at Corinth and says, for the word of the cross is what? You know what the word next word is? Begins with F, ends in Ali. Yeah, folly. Yeah. So the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Listen, it's interesting how he juxtaposes everything in here. So, so the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So listen, some of you today think this is stupid. And what I'm saying is foolishness. And, and the preaching of the gospel is just a waste of time. I get it, man. I, I understand. I've been in your seat before. I, I've said those things before. That the preaching of the gospel is foolishness. You're wasting your time, preacher. I don't need your message, preacher. Well, I, my, my parents drug me here today, preacher, all against my will. And I think this is foolishness. Okay? The scripture just talked about you. For the word of the cross is folly to who? Listen, if you think that way, if you're watching today and you think that way, then the, this is folly to those who are perishing. Those who are dying in your sin. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God to raise us up from the dead, to awaken us to the gospel, that is the power of God. Amen? Amen? Yeah, so that's how he juxtaposes it. Then he says this, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So the folly of what we preach, the craziness of what we preach, what the world sees as folly, God uses to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. So some of you may do that. I've, I've encountered many people that go, man, if I could just get a sign. If God would just show me something. If I, if I could just see something happen. If I could see those miracles. You talked about loaves and fishes. I ain't seen that happen in a minute. If I could just see a sign like that, then I would believe. Scripture talks about you too. It says, for Jews demand a sign, or just put your name there, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Listen to this. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen? 
This is the job that I have and the job that you have as a Christian for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. So anytime that you're talking about, the, you're telling the gospel message to somebody or you're sharing the gospel with your unbelieving friend or you're talking about Jesus with some of your friends that make fun of you or they point the fingers and laugh and you don't get invited to the thing because you're a Christian and because you're like, man, you're, you're different and you're weird. You do things different than we do and you go to church on Sunday, any of that kind of stuff, this, mess, this verse for you. For the foolishness of God, all that is wiser than men. Amen? Amen? And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Man. It's not even in my text, but we had to get there. And we continue on in the riches of his grace. Look what it says in verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So God has made his grace toward you and me it's made known to us the mystery of his will, okay? And when he's made that known to us, when he's awakened us to the gospel, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, God has awakened me to the mystery of his will. He's awakened you, Christian, to the mystery of his, the mystery of his will is that he saved you from your sin, that he has made you alive in Christ Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Is this thing on? Seriously, I mean, look, I know that, that you've probably been in church and your mama told you to be still and all that kind of stuff and don't move and that kind of thing. We need a little, just something, you know what I'm saying? Uh, y'all killing me today. It's okay to respond or just move, okay? Y'all with me? All right, good. That's a little bit better. So what is this mystery? It's simple that Jesus was the long-awaited deliverer that they talked about to the church at Ephesus and to us today. We don't necessarily consider it a mystery today because, this, because we live on this side of the resurrection. You think he was writing this, this letter to the church at Ephesus back in the day, right? And, and so this is all somewhat new. And, and the resurrection was somewhat new. And, and some people might not have heard about it at the time. And so he was telling them about the story of the resurrection of Jesus. We've been in church for most of our lives. Most of us here in the South at least have. Some of you may be new to church. Some of you watching may be new to church. Uh, but, but this is not necessarily new news. And unfortunately, the more we hear something, the duller it becomes to us, right? Right? Just because, yeah, I've heard the gospel before. I've heard the gospel, you know. And we don't get excited about the fact that we've been rescued from our sin. That we have hope and found in Jesus. But it's because of what Scripture tells us that this is a mystery. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. That to this end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And, and also for me, it's Paul writing, my, my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You see, Paul calls it a mystery whenever we proclaim the gospel. And I'm just going to tell you, you need to pray for your pastors. You need to pray for not only just us, the pastors that stand in this particular pulpit, but if you know other people that stand and proclaim the gospel, you need to pray for them regularly. Because we're declaring the mystery of the gospel to people regularly. We're declaring it to you regularly. And we want you to in turn declare it to others. Romans chapter 16 says this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ago. For long ages. Uh, for long ages. It was kept a mystery for, for a long time. It's not a mystery to us anymore. 
Look what he says in Colossians. The mystery hidden for all ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. That mystery has been revealed to you if you're in Christ Jesus. The next verse says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the redemption from God to man was a mystery for people for ages until it was revealed in Jesus. And today... There's much the same. Redemption remains a mystery to some of you. This whole thing that I'm talking about remains a mystery to some of you. But that's why we preach the gospel regularly at Refuge. Like, man, I come to Refuge and they preach the same message all the time. Yep, I promise you, we don't have a different message. We don't have a different message. We preach the gospel every week at Refuge. Whatever the tech, the, if, if we're not preaching the gospel here at Refuge, go find another church that preaches the gospel. Why do we do it that way, preacher? Glad you asked. Romans chapter 10 tells us this. Listen, listen to what it says. Romans 10, 9 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is what? Saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. It is the same Lord, the same Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Yeah. How then will they call on him and who they not believe? And how are they to believe in him who they never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they've been sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed what he has heard from them. So faith comes by hearing, and what? Hearing through the word of Christ. That's why we preach it every week. Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Okay? That's why we do it. That's why you keep hearing it over and over. It took me 30 years to hear, to have ears to hear. And God awakened me to the gospel, gave me the faith to believe, and saved me. And I pray that he'll do that for some of you today that have sat and listened to gospel preaching your entire life, closed off to it, darkened by it, not even caring about it anymore. But today is my day that I hope that you are hearing that God is awakening you to the gospel. Think about that. The saving mystery of God revealed not only to just a select few, not just preachers, not just teachers, but to anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. And so it's been revealed to us. It's been revealed to those watching today. But some of you are still in darkness, either oblivious to the fact that there is a God who will save you from your sin, or maybe you just don't care, or maybe you don't believe in this gracious God at all. Well, there's hundreds of people here and thousands of people in this area and millions of people across the world who will beg to differ with you. Literally, everyone who has been rescued from their sin would urge you, would beg with you, would plead with you to hear the message of the gospel. As the preacher stands and bids you to repent and to come to Jesus, as he begs you to believe the gospel, literally every person would get on their hands and knees. I would bet you here today, if that's what it took to beg you to come to Jesus, people would do it because of the beauty that is found in Christ Jesus. Because of the hope that is found in Christ Jesus. Because of the joy that comes with knowing our King. Amen? Amen. People would do that for you today if that's what it took. 
Uh, let's get back to our text. Look, look what it says in verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And, and so all this goes back to the cosmic rescue plan that started that would need, that needed to start from Genesis chapter 3. Yes, Satan will bruise the heel of Jesus, but Jesus will crush the head of Satan. And this was divine, agreed-upon plan from the Godhead set forth in Jesus. And then back to our last verse, it says this. As a plan of full, uh, for the fullness of time to unite the things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. And so what was this plan? Verse 10 begins with the plan for the fullness of time. And again, God plans. God plans. Think about this. Think about the first coming of Jesus. It was predicted, it was prophesied, and it was fulfilled, right? Predicted, prophesied, fulfilled. And then he sends the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's better that I go away, and I'm going to send the Spirit. That happened at what? Begins with P, ends with Pentecost. Pentecost, yeah. And so Jesus says, better that I go away and I'm going to send the Spirit. And so the Spirit falls on people at Pentecost. And, and then there's the testimony of the apostles that the apostles said that I was with him. I saw Jesus. I saw him raised from, I saw him crucified. I saw him raised from the dead. And they began to declare the good news of the gospel literally around the world. And then the church was birthed. And then the spread of the gospel happened today. And like I said earlier, we're still a continuation of all that. The stuff we read about in the church being birthed, that's what happened today. We planted Refuge Church 12 years ago. And people become to know Jesus. So the gospel is spreading even here today. Not only here, but in many churches literally around the country, the gospel is being proclaimed and people are being continue to be brought into the kingdom. And then Jesus will come again and God the Father is in charge of all this and is the Father who appoints this time. It's not you or me. It's for God alone. And so because we don't know when the times are, when the times are right for certain things to happen. Let me give you an example. What is this? Banana. banana. Take a good look at it. That's banana number one. What is this? Take a good look at it. Banana number two. What is this? Take a good look at it. It's banana number three. What is this? Take a good look. That's banana number four. What is this? What is it? banana. This is banana number five. So we're going to vote <laughs> on which banana you think is the best banana up here, okay? Simple, simple vote. Just raise your hand. Doesn't mean you're charismatic yet. Just raise your hand. Banana number one. Carol, raise your hand. Carol. Banana number two. Okay. Banana number three. Yeah, that's about right. Banana number four. And then where are my freaks in the house? <laughs> Banana number five. I see you. I see you.
So too many opinions about which time it is right to eat the banana, right? If we can't agree on the fullness of time for a banana, we know that the fullness of time is left up to the Father. Amen? I know it's a silly example, but think about that. The fullness of time. For the time whenever this will all come to fruition, whenever Jesus will say, the time has come. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. That is left to the Father. And one day he will say that the fullness of time has come. One day he will say the banana is ready to eat. And the fullness of time will have come. It is up to God the Father. Acts chapter 1 verse 7 says, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. God will at his appointed time. Look what this says. Uh, It says this. Sorry. He will unite things. Uh, He will unite things in him things in heaven, and things on earth. So God's purpose is to sum up all of creation in Christ. The head of the angels with whom he was linked by his invisible nature and men like you and me who he was linked with with his visible nature. That's going to become the fullness of time and all this is going to come together. Sin has marred our relationship and, and the way that we really relate to God. And God means to gather up all of us together in Christ. As Colossians 1.20 says, By him to reconcile all things unto himself, whether things on heaven or things on earth, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So the question becomes, so what? Preacher. What do you do with all this today, preacher? See, when God chooses for this to happen, when the time, the fullness of time has come, you will come to God. Listen to me. You will come to God as either friend or foe. You will be a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. Yep. We hope we all sing it that day. You'll come as either friend or you'll come as foe. You'll be an enemy of God, okay? Some of you are still enemies of God. Some of you watching are still enemies of God because you're outside the household of faith. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about being a member of your mama's church. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about you have not repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in the only wise God, the only way to gain access to heaven, the only way to be redeemed, and that's through the precious blood of Jesus. Some of you have a said faith, but most of you have, in that same vein, have a dead faith. And that's dangerous ground to be on. You'll come as either friend or foe. You'll come at the end as either reconciled to Jesus, reconciled to God through Jesus, or as a rebel who says, I'll do it my own way. You snub your nose at him and I'll figure it out myself. I'll hope the scales balance in my way. That's rebel talk. I'll do it my own way. I get it. We're Americans. We do it our own way, right? Scripture says, the gospel says, someone's already done it in our place. You'll come as friend or foe. You'll come as reconciled or rebel. Or you'll come as family 
part of the family of God or you'll come as a foreigner outside the family of God. Some of you today are foreigners, alienated from the gospel of Jesus because you've never really repented of your sins. You've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. You're still a foreigner to the kindness and the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Many of you are family. Many of you are part of the family of God. But many of you are foreigners to the grace of God. You'll come either alive in Christ or you'll come in dead in your sins. And so today, you too can and should choose to come to Jesus. It's time. Your banana's ripe. It's time. It's time. And what I mean by saying that is listen to our text when I insert you for we. This makes this text a little bit more personal. Listen to, listen to what I'm going to say. In him, you have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of your trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon you in all wisdom and insight. Making known to you the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite you in him, things in heaven and things on earth. How does that happen? You repent. Expressing a deep desire. This is not just a, a go, a, a giving a wink and a nod at sin. This is expressing a, a deep remorse about my own, my, my own wrongdoings, my own sin against a holy and righteous God. Biblical repentance means responding to God's love and being transformed in our convictions and, and our actions that biblical repentance means that we, will, we have a desire to be different and a desire to change. It means turning toward God and away from our whatever thing in our life that dishonors him. Biblical repentance is not about your emotions, but it is about your sin. It's not about your efforts or your own resolve. It's about your surrender. Repentance becomes God's amazing do-over. No matter how bad you've messed it up. No matter how bad you're in the middle of messing it up right now. Repentance says, I recognize I'm messing it up and I can't do it on my own and I desperately need you. So we repent. We turn away from our sins and we do this. We believe the gospel. The king is saying, my cure for your shame and the sin of your past is turned towards me and know that I'm looking back at you in love. Believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is Jesus, God the Son, that he lived a life that you cannot live because God requires perfection from us. And none of us can do that. You cannot live that way. And God requires perfection and recognize that Jesus lived that life of perfection in your place. He died the death that you deserve to die for your sins. He hung on a cross to say, I'll take the punishment that you deserve. The scripture tells us that God laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. 
and that God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf and raised him from the dead three days later. And now he is alive and forevermore interceding on mine and your behalf if you are in Christ Jesus. And that same Jesus is looking at you in love. Grace unmeasured, love untold, love greater than your sin, hope deeper than your darkest despair. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus today. Let me pray for us.